get in the Word, I'm going to take us to I've, Psalm 147. And um, let me find it. Psalm 147. There you go over there. Verse 10 and 11. The title I gave a couple weeks ago was No Limitations, and I believe that is exactly who God is in this hour and plans to show himself strong. And yet it says, in two, he said to King Asa, when he had to, by the second prophet came to reprove him for his commingling of his resources to try to get support through an alliance to a kingdom, he said that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth, looking to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are wholly his or loyal or completely his. So I want to, just so we know where I believe God wants to go with this, God wants to release mercy into our lives in, in untold fashion because, because the need of mankind demands mercy. And mercy is what triumphs over judgment. And he wants to begin to demonstrate mercy in our lives where we will be like Cammy and I this whole week going, well, I, you know, this is a miracle. This is a miracle what God's doing of, of recovery, of re restoration. Thank you, thank you. And we'll be going around saying, this is a miracle. That's a miracle. This is the power of God. This is the kindness of God. I can't believe it. So that's the goal. Now, there's one little problem that often is where I find myself faltering and not being able to re be a recipient of the mercy, and that is impatience or fear or what I might do to take care of me so I have to don't know where God is, so I come up with my idea to fix this because after all, if God's not here, he must be expecting me. And if he is here, I don't know if I can trust him, so I better do my... Th and just... Silly, silly stuff, but it, it's so easy to get into. So I want to talk about that posture of hope, the posture of waiting, a posture of, of why God will wait, and then hopefully that will give us courage, because it takes courage to wait on God or to wait for God or to anticipate God helping and not helping yourself is like the f most frightening thing I do. And it, it's so demanding. So this chapter, and it, there's another psalm that speaks of the same fashion. And I love these. these in psalm 147, he says, He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Heavenly Father, before we go beyond here, we pause. And um, wherever you would convict us throughout this service or throughout this new year, we do want to take our hands off of things that we're trusting in. We do not want to say to the work of our hands, you are saving me. And any other mechanism that is accessible and, and legitimately useful. We don't know how you are going to come, but I do believe, like the tracksuit dream, you are coming with ever confidence and, and unorthodox fashion. And you will disrupt status quo to bring about God's blessings. But help us to be able to release as that you demand of us and trust as you require of us and hope 
as we must in your mercy, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'll try to move along because it's, it's a bit of a teaching, but I think if you catch the teaching, the reason I love the Bible is it gives me authority to do what I don't have the capacity to do myself. If I read it in the Scripture and I begin to understand what God's saying, then I can do it. I, I can't really say anything unless God says it first to have value. So, I, you, you know, resource, you know what I mean by say, if I resource myself? It means like I'm in this jam and I know this time's happening, so we got to deal with it, we got to do something. So I come up with what do I do? And then I do it. That's a resource myself. So, um, but I've, and I've learned this, I, this little jit, ditty came to me last week. When me looks to myself, for my means, then me becomes mean. When me, Steve, looks to what means I might have to apply, the one outcome after it's been done over length of time will be I'll be mean. It's that soul can't go on that far, the anger, so forth. So he takes no pleasure in the in the in the horse of the horses, armies, legs, all the resources of mankind. There's nothing that God's going. Oh, I really like the way they're working so hard. He takes pleasure in those who fear Him. This is so important. The fear of God is that we stop ourselves because we fear Him, or we do something because we fear Him. That's not so. And when we fear him, then we can hope in his mercy. And the word hope means to wait with an expectancy, but it's really about patience. So that's the test. To illustrate it in a, a, a biblical story, I want to take us to 2 Samuel 13, 8. I'm just going to quote, I'm just going to pull us out verses. Each of these chapters are worth their entire read. So at some point a verse... Go, go say, I want to go back into that story and get the context of how this meant so much. But in Second uh, Samuel chapter 13, verse 8, this is the same word for hope. Second uh, Samuel. No, First Samuel, that's the reason. I, I wrote Second Samuel, so my fault. First, first Samuel 13, 8. This is a story of Saul. This is when Saul lost the eternal kingdom that God was going to give him. And this is the pressure that Saul lived under all his life. He was not God-chosen. He was man-chosen. He was man's choice, so to speak. So therefore, he was man-dependent. So he was sent on the first assignment as king. And Samuel had said, I'm going to meet you in such and such place at, in seven days. And then we'll take down and, we'll, and the victory will be yours and we'll advance for God's purpose. So it says, then he, Saul, waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. So he's, obe he's being obedient to the word of God given to him through the priest, the prophet, and he's waiting. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And now here's a critical moment. And the people were scattered from him. The confidence the people had began to just, just, just crumble apart, and they began to go home. They were going, this is not a good 
deal. I, I have a bad feeling about this. I don't want to be in this war. I'm not sure what we're doing. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. Oh, those last few minutes when we wait for a miracle, those last hours when we're trying to trust God to the next place, and it feels like things are going apart, I better do something. Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what? Have you done? Saul said, well, when I saw the people were scattered from me. See, people, my circumstance, my books, my money, my, 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 my opportunity. Uh, and you, that you did not come in the days appointed. He, <laughs> oh, the, 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 the way God tests us to bring us to come to the resource of our, to see ourselves, and then to return to him. Now, this was not the end of Saul's kingdom, though it began the journey at the end, to the end. He had two more tests that he absolutely went against God's way. So they did not come in the days appointed that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash. And then I said, oh, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I've not made supplication to the Lord, therefore I felt Here's the word, compelled, and I offered burnt offering. Surely that God can't be upset about that. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. And there the Lord chose little, little shepherd boy watching the sheep, singing songs of praise, living in... And he said, there's my man. So how do we get to a place... Or how, what's the process to get us to the place? Because I don't think I can get there. I've tried. I've, these are not new teachings to me. These are ancient, you know, in the last 40 plus years, I've recognized this but never been able to stay there. And now I'm learning a few of the re ways God gets me so I can stay there. So I want to take us to uh, what's that process? How do we get there? Go with me to Exodus 33, please, 17 through 23. This will be a little bit of a read. This is uh, Moses. He's had, he, he's in a predicament because God has uh, been very upset with Israel because of the golden calf incident. And he's, he's basically said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I may devour, destroy you in a moment. So you've got to get humble people, get your earrings out of your, out of your noses. Because that's what got you, you know, just, it's just very, very, very um, strong. God, Moses had to set his tent outside of the camp so that he could have conversation with God because God said, I won't stay inside this camp because they're just stiff-necked. They're stubborn, obstinate, willful, and I'm not, I, I don't want to destroy them. 
And so what verse? I'm, I'm jumping ahead because God, he talks with the Lord in this tent for 40 days or so. And he's just saying, Lord, finally, I need your help because you've told me I'm taking the people, but I don't know who's coming with me. And you said, yeah, I, you've known me by name. And you said, I, I found grace in your sight. And, oh, uh, and so I need to help. And, he, and then he says, my presence will go with you in verse 14. And then Moses said, well, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us from here. See, Moses was in a different predicament. He knew without God, he wasn't going anywhere. And God said, I'm not going with these people. So where, this is intercession. This is finding back the pleasure of God into the people. Um, and then he said, and how will it be? How will anybody know that we've found grace in your sight and be a distinct people unless your presence with us? We'll be just like all the other nations. We'll just be like all the other places. We need your presence. So the Lord said to Moses, I'll also do this thing. For you have uh, found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Name is, a, is not like Sam. Ted, Steve, Joe, it's name that distinguishes purpose. And I've, got, I've known you by name for purpose. And he said, now the last question. Please show me your glory. And he said, I will. I will make all my goodness. And I, we have to go to the source. If mercy is the source and waiting for God is the, is the means into which we obtain the things that God wants us to have, but he wait, there's a delay factor. We need to understand who are we waiting for? And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. This is uh, repeat, uh, recounted in uh, Romans 9. This is, this is core. This is like the, the greatest revelation of God thus far to be given to a man for a nation. And he says, I'm going to do that. But I want you to know, I'm gracious to whom I want to be gracious. I am compassion to whom I have compassion, which we spoke of last week, that there are two at attributes of who God our Father is in every fashion. He is merciful and he's gracious. And if you think of mercy, he picks us up and holds us. And I, there, you can, let, you can ask the Father, Father, please pick me up and hold me. He's never, we're never too old enough to be fondled and held by our God. And then um, grace or graciousness or compassion is he will bend down and help us. So the imagery is I'll pick you up and hold you, and then I'll get, come down and help you. And so he says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you by proclaiming my name. When we hear the Lord speak his name, that's how he lets us see who he is. The Lord said, here's a place, and you shall stand on it in the rock. So verse, chapter 34, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two, uh, uh, two tablets of stone like the ones, first ones, and I will write these tablets, chapter, uh, and the, the tablets, the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. So be ready in the morning. Come up to the Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No man will come with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before the mountain. So he cut the two tablets like the first. 
Moses rose early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious. These are the first two descriptive words he is making known to a covenant people, Israel. I am merciful. I am gracious. This is how, who I am. Long-suffering. What a beautiful picture. Abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin. By no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And here, God now makes covenant. We won't continue the covenant he, he lays out. But this is, Moses rediscovered who God was and moved toward him in worship and then petitioned, interceded for, for, for restoration, inheritance, iniquity removed, receive us, walk with us, go with us. Now, God did, and he explains crazy stuff just in that one chapter. And when Moses comes off the mountain, his face is effervescent with glory. His skin is shining, and it freaks everybody out. Now, come with me to Psalm 46.10, because that's who God, this, who's, this, he is who we're waiting for. When he comes, he will be merciful and gracious. Yes, there's vengeance. Yes, there's a day of the Lord. But that's his day, not mine. I don't cry. I have really been in the fear of God do, the, the, not to call for judgment over anybody or anything or any way or to think I know what God's doing. Vengeance is the Lord's. He's the only one that can step into situations and deal, deal perfectly with it. But I can cry out for mercy. And the more I extend that mercy, the more I'm closer to receiving mercy because James tells us mercy or judgment will be without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So if we are the people of God crying out for mercy to the earth, mercy to California, mercy to the United States of America, mercy to Israel, mercy to the Philistines and the Palestinians, and mercy to China, and mercy, then, then God is, we are being like our Father who is merciful. To the, the, to the just and the unjust, to the thankful and the unthankful. So, we, we're, so here, this verse has just taken hold of me for the last 10 weeks, or four weeks. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, at first glance, I would think to still means just really 
getting quiet. And it, I think it does. But it literally means quit working. Cease your labors. Quit striving. That's why we often will hear this quoted, cease striving and know that I'm God. Get out of your activity that you're doing to try to get something to happen. No, I am God. So that's, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, go with me to Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is the conflict I'm in. I'm in this every few times a day. Why prayer becomes a posture of returning and resettling and setting myself back before the Lord so I can uh, allow him to be God even though he's freaking me out and making me scared. He is terrifying because he's absolute confident in himself and none in me. And so he will place me in dependency to him, but I still got all my stuff, you know. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes my soul feels like a jar and it's got tranquil little honeybees in it. Just sitting there, you know, just minding their own business. And then God comes and says, hey, let's do something incredibly wonderful together. He grabs my little soul jar with my bees just tranquilly quiet. And he goes, <laughs> and they just go, you know, like a cat. And I go, why did you do that? And the point is because that is not going to rule you. And the only way it's not going to rule you is when it's like that, you don't submit to it. Because the way you massage your soul so it, you know, it's all happy, it isn't going to work in a war or conflict or loss. You've got to come back into me. That's why he says, Restore, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully for you. Isaiah 30, verse 15. Several years ago, Cam and I just, just, just riveted us on a Christmas season uh, because we realized at the end of the Christmas season we'd done exactly what verse 15 says. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Those, those sound like just, you know, I'm, I'm in. Give me the attributes. I accept it. I want returning, rest, salvation, quietness, confidence, strength. But you would not. You said, no, for we will flee on horses. I'm going to get ahead of this problem. I'm going to, and therefore you will flee. And we will flee on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. That whole idea of, and this was just simple Christmas season, trying to get ahead of things. I mean, we'd come up with all kinds of silly thoughts that from the last Christmas season, how to avoid the next Christmas season for the problems we'd had the last Christmas season. And one of them, housing a big family gathering, we had decided we needed to get our meals prepared before time. And for a month or two, we decided we were going to make stroganoff and we bought expensive meat and did all the workings and just ruined it. Just ruined it. But now we've put all this money into this and it's tougher than nails. So we're coming up with ideas. Well, what if we cut them in small little pieces? And Oh, it was, just, it was a Christmas like that. Just always trying to get ahead of it. And always just being overtaken by what we're racing to get away from. 1,000 shall flee at the threat of one, and a threat of five you shall flee. 
Then till all is left as a pole, as you are left as a pole on the top of the mountain and a banner on a hill. So this is that kind of conflict that's happening with Israel through the prophet Isaiah. This is how God, God view, God speaking. There's a little uh, plaque we bought that came out of uh, Minnesota when we were first married and we saw it. It's a little poem, and it goes like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious humans rush about and worry so. Said the robin to the sparrow, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. <laughs> it's still got on our wall. I just like every time. I put it where I usually have a clock. So, so I look at that versus the clock. So now, here's God's answer to this dilemma that we're born into. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Now, he's not waiting in the same kind of waiting that the set time that we have to wait toward. He's waiting literally means to adhere through piercing. He's not kumbaya in us. He's just holding a position of authority and who I am, and therefore I will be who I am, and I cannot be anyone else but who I am. It's what we would say in the New Testament, if, um, if we deny him, he will deny us because he cannot deny himself. If we disagree with his truth, he will not come into agreement with our lie because he cannot be anything but truthful. So he said, I'm going to just, I'm kind of an impediment. Uh, you're just not going to get around me. You're not going to get through me. And I'm going to get into you. I'm going to take possession. I'm going to, my ways, my will, my word, my truth. You're going to fully embrace and receive. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be doing this because I want to be gracious to you. I want to get involved. I want to do something wonderful. I want to change the course you've been in. I want to undo the things that have been. I w but I've got to, I'm going to wait so I can be gracious. Therefore, he will be exalted, lifted high. He will exalt himself far above our ability that he may have mercy on us. Mercy. I want to, I will be exalted so I can pick you up and hold you and take out all of that fear in one big God hug. I want to love on you and fill you and enjoy you. And so I'm going to be exalted. And then I'm going to be, yes, you're going to come to that place where there is no one else but God. There is no other way but God. If you had another hundred years to do it, you'd still ruin it. That conclusion. I cannot solve my problem. Me is the problem. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So this now is, we're in the same mode of, Lord, I'm not going anywhere until you help me. I can't go anywhere. There is no other help. Everything's screaming. All those circumstances out there, they're yelling at us. If you don't do something, you're going to lose America. If you don't do something, you're going to lose your house. If you don't lose, do something, you're going to lose your kids. If you don't do something, you're going to lose your marriage. If you don't do something, do something. Do something. And that's Satan. God never says, if you don't do something. 
Because he's the one who's saying, I am the provision that you must receive. You must enter into my rest. You must defer to my victory. You must accept my blessing. You, you must come back to my son. You must accept what I've said. So uh, let's go to Hebrews and we'll get the answer and we'll make a quick uh, peaceful application. Hebrews chapter 4 and watch it in the New Testament. Verse 7. Again, the whole chapter, chapter 3 and 4 are one big chapter together. But this, we'll just start at verse 7. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, that's the psalm. Today, after such a long time, it has been said, today if you'll hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Psalm 95. Oh, powerful psalm. So today, 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 the 7th of January, 2024, today, if you'll hear my voice, don't harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, that Joshua was before David, so the physical Israel was, if that was the rest God was talking about, then he would not afterward, through the prophet David, say, another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. The rest of God is remaining for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest. Now, here's, you can now, you, I mean, I'm just being honest. I do not do this well. I fail throughout the day, but I found I can always return. Return to your rest. For he who has entered his papa's rest has also ceased from his works as God did from his. So that has to be that in my salvation is complete. Jesus Christ is my complete salvation. Whatever is still finding its way of expression has already been secured in Jesus Christ. I have to step out of my effort and receive his victory. I have to agree with him. So that is not passivity in any way. Resting is kind of like what well, goes on the next verse. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So the disobedience that we could fall into that would take us not entering into the rest is found in verse 1 and 2. If you go up to there, Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. Uh, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, Israel, in the wilderness, the word which they heard did not profit them. The logos, the word, they didn't profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So again, back to the last verse we were at, I think, um, 11 or so. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The word being proclaimed, God speaking, God saying something into my life, I'm receiving, I'm releasing what I was doing, at the la- what I was planning to do, and I'm saying, Lord, I'll let you come. Because when it boils down to my soul, I have to say this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for you, even if that means I die. I'm not going to, ex- I'm not, you're telling me that you're going to do something. You're really slow, and I'm really afraid. 
but to said, instead of trying to take matters in my hands like I've done thousands of times, I'd rather just die praising you, just giving you praise. So it's funny, though. It says that we don't want to fall under that same example of disobedience. So immediately, verse 12 comes, for the word of God, for the word of God is alive, living, powerful. So again, mortals, mere mortals, flesh creatures, soulish people, have the audacity to put demands on God to do anything that we want without submitting to the entirety of his word as truth. As though he's going to go, oh, I just love you guys so much, and Jesus loves you so much, and we just love you so much, and we just want you to be loved. We don't want anybody to feel rejection, so hugs, hugs, and kisses. He can't do that. He's raising a bride equal to his son. We have to learn the same fashion of submission under his word, trusting his word, listening to his word. It is written. It is written. It is written. So he says, okay, be diligent. I'm, all right, daddy, I want to, and I'm in this, and it's like, oh, I could fall apart. Be still. Know that I'm God. Yeah, but that's easy for you to say because you're God. You expect me to be still. Do something so I can rest. Don't shake the bees, please. <laughs> Be still. Know that I'm God. So here it is. He says, now here's the method. Here's the means. The, the Word of God. The living Word of God. It's alive. It's powerful. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword, or we call a laser beam, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Now, if you meditate on that, that's... that's that's a, that's a separation. It's hard for most of us to even fathom that the Word of God has that access. Well, that's your soul, Steve. That's okay. You got those feelings. It's all good. We'll solve it. But I need your spirit in agreement. So just relax and rest and rejoice. He does that. The Word of God does that. Joints and marrows. Inward man, the outward man. And is the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh, without the Bible, I can't even know how wicked I am, how selfish I am, how rude I am, how arrogant, how thick-headed. I can't see any of that unless the Word of God illuminates by the Spirit of God and comes in and goes, Steve, you just think you're so, oh, I just came back to my mind three times. It's so embarrassing, but I'll be embarrassed. When we were first starting as a church and everything was working because we were young and we were doing it all. We were uh, taking, we were in a, a shopping mall and we were occupying more and more space and gathering more and more people, more and more things. There was a fledgling Baptist church that was occupying one last piece of the space. And we would share each other's stuff. So it wasn't like we were in any kind of competition, except everything in my life was competition back then. Everything was envy and strife. And so one day, in prayer, in, I began to ask the Lord to remove them into some better place and let us have their place. Yeah, you're already, you're, Brian's already can imagine. I, I made the mistake. I, I probably would have made it if I had just left that prayer between me and God. Because God would have just ignored me. 
and I'd have blamed somebody else for the fact that it didn't happen. But I made the mistake of telling Cammie. Cammie had this encounter with God today. Because by now, it's like, oh, yeah. Because I, I don't know that's just lust, covetousness. I'm coveting my neighbor's church, thinking I'm better than they, that I should have what they've got because they're not using it as well as I could. Oh. So I told Cammie, I, I had this encounter with the Lord. I prayed, and I asked the Lord that he would move them and give us a building. And she said, you, you did what? It's like freaking out. Well, how in the world? What, what audacity? How do you think you could be any better in any form or deserve anything that they have? And, and praise Jesus, the Holy Spirit took her words, pierced my soul, and I, I realized, wow, that is wrong. I'm sorry. And I shrank. Back down there. That's how the word works. That's how the spirit works. He's not here to affirm us. He's here to convict us. He's not here to, to make our life fit the way we envisioned it. He's, make, he's here to conform us into the image of his son. There's only one goal that God has. You're going to look like my son. And it'll take you the journey as it took him. So he ends up, there is no creature. There is no creature, butterflies or people, that is not, that's hidden from his spirit. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word give an account is the word logos. One day, all of us in this room we will stand before the Lord as we do every day when we spend time with him. And hopefully we will release our logos to him in order that we might receive his logos to us. And we will take his opinion, his words, his truth. And if we are refusing those, there'll come a day when we will recognize as that day was with Cammy, That was an audacious, proud arrogant, self-righteous, evil, vicious prayer. And I'd come home out of the prayer meeting and go, man, I'm starting to really take some authority. It's taking some territory. I'm advancing the kingdom. <laughs> I couldn't see it, but I did see it, and then I could repent. So seeing then that we have this great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who's passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast our confession of what he's saying about himself to us, about what he's given us. For we do not have a high priest who cannot be sympathized with our weaknesses. He knows how I feel. That's why you always talk to him as he's a person and that he's listening. Don't talk around him. Don't talk about the things of God. Talk to him. Talk to Father. No, it's Father you're talking to. Talk to Jesus. No, it's Jesus you're talking to. Talk to Holy Spirit. It takes a little bit of time, but you'll get used to it. And you'll go, uh, uh, Lord, I'm really having a hard time again. Please help me. Help me. Help me. He's tempted as we are, but we're never without, without sin. So let us come boldly. Now here we are, full circle. The first priest who set the priesthood up. The first intercessor, Moses, stood before God. To hear 
about this God and then build a tabernacle. And on the tabernacle, he put inside the ark of the holiest holies. And inside the ark of the covenant, the ark of his presence, the ark of his testimony, he built two angels, cherubim, arching over and called that the mercy seat. The mercy seat. That's the only place I can meet him is at the mercy seat. I have no righteousness. I have nothing I can point to. And we, God does not grade on a curve. He does not think the Christians are better than the rest of the group, so we'll let the Christians go. No. It's no, no, I can only meet him. Now, though, let's come boldly to the throne of grace. Can you imagine? It went from a mercy seat to a supersized throne of grace. God the Father sits on a throne of grace. Holy Spirit helps us follow with Jesus in footstep. Jesus is the way into that place. He's over us. He's the one God saying, you know, we're acting any way we are. And he's saying, well, just see Jesus. There's the Father. Why? We need to obtain mercy. We need to obtain mercy. And if we've obtained mercy, we need to obtain mercy for someone else. And if we've obtained mercy for the ones we love the most, then we have to go after obtaining mercy for the ones we hate, the ones we're angry about, the ones we want dead. God is not going to kill people at my wishes. He'll make them stay with me all my life until I honestly care for them more than anything because the mercy of God has taken hold of me. And it's so hard. But he says, come boldly to obtain mercy. He needs to hold me. And find grace to help in time of need. The word help is the word of frapping. It's an, a nautical term. It was, we read it in Acts chapter 27 when the ship was uh, uh, falling apart because of the storm. They took cables and they went under the ship, pulled it over the ship, and pulled it back around the ship. They just bound the thing together so it wouldn't fall apart in the storm. That's what I need. Don't you? I need grace. I need grace right now. Mercy and grace. That's the place. Waiting, resting, not enforcing, knowing when it is time to take your hand off of that. No. Knowing that the, the fear is the fear of death. That's following us in our life. The bees that want to bounce. And we said, no, Lord, I'm just going to worship. i got to wait. I'm going to wait. And praise God, this Bible will help us. This Bible will help us. This is the book. Without this book, you do not know what you're doing. You can't even know what spirit you are. You can say, let's kill the city. She said, I didn't come to kill. I came to save and heal. Yeah, but they rejected us. Elijah did it. You don't know your spirit. Get in my word, and we can get into my spirit. Oh, praise the Lord. Let's stand. We've been so good. This is a journey of a lifetime, but I believe there's a moment of this, of this time, a set time. I believe there's a set time that we're in that's frightening in some ways. It will be in many ways. If you would, start with this little prayer to yourself. Return, my soul, to your rest. Return. 
Return, soul. Return to your rest, oh my soul. Return. 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 The Lord says that to the Shulamite. Return, 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 return. So we say to ourselves, I will return. I will return. In returning and rest is salvation. Quietness, confidence is strength. I'm returning, Lord Jesus. I return. And the words the psalmist says, For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. The fear that grips us needs to be confronted with the truth of God's word. God deals bountifully with us. The goodest, good, good God. Oh, yes. Talk to ourselves for a moment, like David. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Don't forget any of his benefits. I'll wait for everybody to have a chance to talk to the Lord on this. Return, return, soul return. Don't look around at the people being scattered. Don't wonder where things going to go. If it keeps going the way it's going, it's not going to be anything left if we don't stop something. Just look to Jesus. Lift your eyes and see him. Seated at the right hand of majesty, the high priest of our confession. Holy, 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 you are holy. Holy, you are holy. Just return. The only person intercession ever matters over is God. To submit, to receive, to accept, to allow the goodness of God's find expression in life. We cry. over our lives right now, over our families, our children, over our nation, over California, Israel, and Gaza. Cry holy. Sits upon the nations, on the thrones of kings. problems, the conflicts that are surrounding us, our enemies that are telling us that they'll destroy us, that there is no help from us in God, that God is no longer on our side, that he's rejected us. He's coming in. He's the only one.
Yeshua, Yeshua. In the returning, our vision lifts and we see him high and lifted up. His throne fills the temple. His, his train fills the glory around. The seraphim crying out, you are holy, holy, holy. But not just holy in heaven. Your glory is filling the earth. We are undone. The greatest thing ever happens in my life any day, every day, is when I get undone. Taken down. And there he is. There's work happening right now. Oh, grace, grace, mercy. Mm, we have two important little practices to do before we go. You remember when you were really little and needed others' help, loved the embrace and the uncle, kid, something? Poke up our hands and say, pick me up, please. Would you do that? Just pick me up, Daddy, Papa. I need your mercy. I need your mercy. The conflicts, they're big. My bruises are real. My owies hurt. I'm afraid. I'm hearing words that are frightening. Come pull me up into your embrace, Papa. Abba, Abba. Let them hold you. Let them embrace you. It's a process, it's a practice, it's a subjective, it's returning intentional, but it's real, it's eternal, it's truth. Now, see the Lord come down, bend down, stoop down, and become involved in the things that are concerning us, all around us, all about us, and because we are a people of information, we have concerns that are global concerns as we also have personal concerns. And just let him see him coming to help an inferior, to step into the mix and make things change. Mm. We see you come, Lord. We hope in your mercy. We hope in your mercy. We're anticipating mercy. The love of God we are kept in through anticipating the mercies of Jesus Christ into eternal life. We receive mercies. Mercies. Yes, Lord.
angels cry glory. The angels cry holy. The angels cry mercy. See, in this posture, we begin to declare and decree in the Spirit of God and the truth of His words and the confidence of His presence and we're in the mix of. All of His glory is seen. The first two words are merciful and gracious. The third is long-suffering. The fourth is abounding. And fifth is goodness and truth. Forgiving iniquities, transgressions, and sins. Oh Lord, we welcome your. We welcome you in the earth and in the nation. Accept us again. Receive us. I just want to pray. Bless. I know it's gone a little bit late. I'm sorry. It's hot in here. Just hold up your hands. And just, I just, this is a life of journey, counterintuitive against the soul, but it's so wonderful whenever the soul comes into its rest again. So I bless Lord God, who never did anything, Jesus. You never did anything except what you saw the Father doing. You never said a word except what you heard the Father saying. You never judge beyond what human, except what the Father's judgment. You only live by the living word of God that was given you. Would you grant us as disciples of yours, by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the living logos of your word, to enter in more and more and more and more and more and more into this submission, this peaceful rest, this place of ceasing our own labors, anticipating, expecting, and looking for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever we have been shut down, and mm, come on in back again. We're anticipating mercy. Grace us in our prayers. Help us in our readings. Come alive in our personal times. Let it extend beyond where we are and to where we live and to who we love and to whom we are concerned over, to whom we are in conflict with, and to whom we are aware of awful things. We just say, mercy, 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 triumph over judgment. And help us each, all of us, in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen.